Hey, grab your Bibles, turn with me. Um, I believe we're going to begin in the book of Luke in the fourth chapter. And so just, just turn there and hang with me. Um, I'll get there to our, our passage reading here in a moment. Uh, we are introducing a new series today. We're beginning a series that I've entitled uh, Redeemed. And so uh, we know that it's the Christmas season. It's a time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and so it's kind of strange to be talking about what he did at the end of his life rather than at the beginning, but we'll get there. It's all important, right? And so, um, so we're, we're going to be heading in that direction. The series is called Redeemed. I want to begin um, in Luke, the fourth chapter, and I just kind of want to set this up for you, what's happening in, uh, in Luke, the fourth chapter. We see that uh, this is at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. So he's about 30 years old and Jesus was raised in the town of Nazareth, okay? So in Luke chapter four, we have Jesus, he, he eventually gets to Nazareth. Um, you know, what had just happened in his life is that he had gone down and was baptized in the river by his cousin, John the Baptist, OJB, baptized him. Remember when, when he's walking up to the river, John points at him and says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Love that. So John then baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form. So everybody witnessing his baptism just saw the Holy Spirit drop on him. Uh, from there, he goes off into the wilderness, spends 40 days fasting and praying in the wilderness. Um, and um, it, it actually says that after he came out of the wilderness, he was full of power. Maybe we ought to learn something from that. Times of prayer and fasting set apart make you full of power. Don't shout me down now. Come on consecrated times to, to get away with the father. He came back and actually in that time before he came back, remember he was tempted of the devil in those, in, in that time of prayer and fasting, uh, the devil came to him and tempted him. And three times he thwarted the temptation of the devil by using the word of God. So the lesson there is when temptation comes, you don't have time to grab your Bible. It's the word that's already in you that defeats temptation on the move. So we see Jesus full of the word. We, full, we see him killing his flesh through, through fasting. Um, comes out like, like a young Mike Tyson, just ripped and ready to go. Okay, he comes out of this experience. And, uh, and he begins his private ministry. The Bible says, or his public ministry. And so the Bible says that he's, he's over in Galilee and he's ministering, man. And the people are just like, like who is this guy? I mean, he's, he's not yet known. I mean, his reputation is just being built. So he's in Galilee and, and everybody's like, wow. I mean, this dude is just full of power, full of life. And they're all um, just enamored with Jesus. So after he leaves Galilee, he goes back home to Nazareth. So he gets, he gets to Nazareth and apparently it was 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning because he went to church. It said that's what he usually did. Like when I'm home, I go to church. Well, that's just a good thing too. So we've learned so far, we ought to fast and pray. We ought to be full of the word and we ought to go to church. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs> so he goes, he goes to his home church and, um, 
And apparently this was pretty common that, that during their services or gatherings that um, some of the more prominent people would, would read scripture. And so the scroll was actually handed to Jesus and he unrolls it and he turns to the book of Isaiah, which would have been very common for them. The book of Isaiah is a, is a prophetic book. It was written by the prophet Isaiah. And so he turns to this book and I mean, this was no big deal because this happened pretty often. And we find in verse 18 of Luke chapter four, where he turned and what he read. So, so we're going to read what he read in that moment. But let me just say this to you first before we start reading. Again, this would have been very common because the passage he reads is a, it's called a, a messianic prophecy. In other words, it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come, hoping and expecting for the Messiah to show up. They were all looking for him. Now, they, they thought he was going to be more of a governmental leader, but they were all waiting for them. So everybody knew that the passage that he reads here was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So here's where he read. Join me on, in verse 18. Luke 4. Here, here's the verse that Jesus read. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So he reads this prophecy about the Messiah, and they're all like, Great. I've heard that a thousand times. They're all, you know, this is very common to them. But then if you keep reading, this is a really interesting story because the mood changes. They're excited at first, you know, like, okay, that's cool. That's a scripture I'm familiar with. But he closes the book and he says, listen, that scripture today, that scripture is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, what he's saying is this, this Messiah that has come to bring good news to poor people, I'm here. This Messiah who came to heal brokenhearted people, right here. This Messiah that came to set captives free, it's me. He's laying this out to them. When he said that, they were fine with him reading that verse until he said, this day it's fulfilled. I am he. He went on to talk though, and apparently he was just really captivating as a communicator because they were all really fascinated with what he's saying. And they're, they're, while he's talking, he's talking with such authority and passion and power. They're looking at each other and going, isn't this Jesus who grew up down the block? Isn't like his stepdad is Joseph, right? Mom, Mary, the little short lady. Teen pregnancy. <laughs> Here's something for all you Catholics. Hold on. His brothers and sisters are even here. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. <laughs> Listen. Mary wasn't a virgin her whole life. I'm sorry if that offends your theology. I don't know why I'm going there. And now all you Catholics can leave. We've lost you. I've offended you. No. So 
as Jesus is talking with such passion and authority, they're going, wait a minute, this dude, he, I've known Jesus. Like Jesus and I were in the third grade together. And, and, and so they're, they're, they're bewildered because they're seeing this. He's saying the, the one who came to heal is standing in your presence. But their familiarity with him was blocking something. And so he goes on to teach and, 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 and they're just, they're looking at this going, I don't understand because I'm just too, con Jesus is just, he's just a buddy of mine. And he goes on to, to, to speak. And if you just keep reading in Luke chapter 14, he goes on to say, you know, hey, there's going to be a time when you're going to say, oh, physician, heal yourself. And what he's doing is right there, he's talking about the cross. He's saying, Look, Jesus, you said you're the savior. Well, there's going to come a time where it's going to look like you need saving. And so he said, this is going to happen. But he goes on to say this. He says, um, hey, if you'll remember in our history as a nation, there was a time when Elijah was the prophet. And remember back then when, when we had those three and a half years of drought? And there was a big famine in the land. You remember that? This is Jody paraphrasing Jesus. So he's, he's telling the congregation, hey, remember back then when, when there was that drought in the land? He said the land was full of widows. There was a bunch of widows. In other words, there was a bunch of people in the land who, who were in dire need. But there was only one widow who the prophet Elijah went to and there was there was provision made there for. So of all the people who needed rescuing, there was only one rescued. And then he goes on to say, and remember back in our history when we had that outbreak of leprosy? He said there was a bunch of lepers in the land, but only one, that was Naaman, actually got healed. And as he began to say this, the, the mood in the room began to turn. And, and they actually got really, really upset with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read this, but they got so upset with him, they ran him out the building. And not only did they run him out the building, they actually pressed him to the edge of town where there was a cliff. And you know what they wanted to do? Throw him off the cliff. All of you saying, Jesus is always a nice guy. He wasn't in that moment. They wanted to throw him off a cliff and, and it was one of those supernatural things. The Bible says this like it's so easy to understand. He said, but he just walked right through him and went on his way. So I just picture this crowd pressing him up against this cliff and all of a sudden the crowd just kind of opens up like the Red Sea and Jesus just walks on through. So these people all of a sudden were very, very upset with Jesus now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this for this reason. That if you, if you follow Jesus' ministry from that way forward, you see that everywhere he went, every, every community he went into, you know what he did? He found blind people who needed healing. He found brokenhearted people who needed to be healed. He found people who were in bondage and he set them free. He went about blessing and, and the song we sang, heaven coming to earth in his ministry. 
People all over, every, from every, uh, every social and, and, and economic standpoint, people receiving touches from Jesus. And, and he was doing actually exactly what the verse had prophesied he would do as the Messiah. So man, everybody is fired up about Jesus and receiving blessings except the people in Nazareth. They missed it, church. And the reason they missed it is because they had the wrong identity of Jesus. And the reason I'm saying this here today is that I have this concern that in the body of Christ, we may not have the proper identity of who Jesus is. And therefore you and I, we miss, we miss what the Messiah brings to the table because we don't know him. All we know is the flanagraph Jesus from Sunday school. And all we know is, is just a few concepts here and there, but we really don't know him. And because we don't know him, we miss it. And I just believe that there are people sitting in this room right now who love Jesus and you're brokenhearted and you don't know how to get healed from it. I believe there's people in here right now who need physical healing. And, and you know, sometimes when, we, when we're reading that passage in, in Luke chapter four and he's talking about the widows all in need but only one of them received it, we tend to build a theology that says, well, I guess the way op God operates then is, you know, there's a lot of need out there but he only picks and chooses who he wants to bless who he wants to bring to the provision to. So if I'm one of the lucky ones, I guess I'll have it. But if not, I'm just supposed to take it and accept it and think maybe this is God's will for my life. It's not God's will for your life. However, I think it's what limits God's best in my life is my knowledge of God. It's my knowledge of who he is. So in this series, what I really, really want to do is I want to unpack for you. I want to show you what all the Lord has purchased for you, the good things he has for your life. And, and the reason I want to do it is, is because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I want to show you in the word of God, building your faith in the fact that you have a good God who hasn't called you to be sick, who hasn't called you to be fearful, who hasn't called you to walk in anxiety and live on prescription medicines and be defeated. Listen, God has not called you to that, but some of us, that's our reality. And I'm not here to shame you. I'm just saying, if we don't get our understanding right, we're going to miss it. So in this series, what I want to do is unpack some of this stuff for you and show you what the Lord has done for you. Look with me in John chapter 19. Turn to the book of John, the 19th chapter. Powerful scripture there. This is in John chapter 19. It's at the end of Jesus's ministry and he's currently being crucified. I just picture... Somebody calling him and going, hey, I'm getting crucified right now. Can I call you back? Because I will be back. That's a good joke. I, you're not responding, but that's a good joke. It'll take about three days, but I'll get back to you. John chapter 19. 
Jesus is, is on the cross at this moment. Read with me in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Love this passage. Okay. Our series is about being redeemed, understanding redemption. What we find here, I just can't go through this verse without pointing out a couple things to you because I love revelation and I love the intricacies of scripture. What we see here is Jesus on the cross. The Bible said he's thirsty. Uh, to me, that means something because what it means to me is that Jesus was a man just like you and I. Human thirst is part of the human experience and it's vitally important. Listen, I don't have time to share it to you, but it's vitally important that Jesus was a man. You know why? Because man had lost something, so only a man could redeem it. The first Adam lost it, the second Adam found it again, purchased it back. So Jesus, he's thirsty. That's part of the human experience. He's just thirsty. And so um, sitting nearby was this, this vase with sour wine in it. And actually that was, that was part of the punishment process for people as they were being crucified. When thirst came up, they were actually given something, but it was sour. It was not refreshing water, it was sour wine. And so as Jesus thirsts, the Bible said that they took a sponge, dipped it in that sour wine, put it on a stick and held it to his lips. Let me point something out to you. It didn't say that they shoved it in his face. They held it up to his lips. So that if he partakes of it, it's going to be because he chose it. It wasn't forced on him. Now, if you know anything about Bible symbolism, you know that this sour wine represents sin. And it was the first time the sinless savior, the one who had never fallen short, who had never sinned at that moment, it was the first time that he had tasted of the bitterness of sin, but it wasn't forced on him. He chose it. He chose it because that's what you and I needed. And so he partakes of that sour wine. And you know how it is when you drink something sour? Imagine what that feels like. So there he is, the shock of that. And for the first time in his life, he was feeling the things that you and I feel. He was tasting the things that you and I have tasted. And I don't know about you, but I've been in that place where I've done something that brought the flood of guilt. And I know what it's like to feel condemned and guilty and shameful. That's the human experience. I've been there in those dark nights where, where shame is just, is just sucking me in. But Jesus had never felt that until this moment. He's tasting the things that you and I taste. He's connecting with us. And in that moment, he, he tastes of that. And then the Bible says after that, that he bowed his head. And I love this too. He released his spirit. In other words, death didn't even take him. He gave it up. It was, all, it was all his choosing. Why did he do it? He did it out of love for me and you. He chose this because this was the path to redemption. And then he says, but before, before he dies, though, I skip this part. He says, I, I believe these are the three most powerful words in all of the Bible. 
What he said was, these are the last words he said before he left the planet. He said, it is finished. But I have a question for you here today. I really do. I have a question for you, church. What is it? What is it that was finished? You know, as, as a pastor, there's some things that trouble me. You know, so sometimes I think of, of you know, the, the people that, that we, we speak to, we preach to, we pray for, we minister to week after week after week after week. And I say, Lord, you know, I'm concerned that, that if I went to some people who sit in our congregation every week and said, what's the gospel? You go, uh, Jesus. And so I think that the body of Christ, we don't even truly understand the gospel. I'm concerned that, that even us in the church don't know how great of a need we have for a savior. We, we sing amazing grace about the wretch that I am and we have no idea that we really are a wretch. In fact, our evaluation of ourselves is I'm a pretty good guy with no clue, no understanding that without Jesus, we are hopelessly and helplessly in trouble. We are wretches, every one of us, every one of us. I, and, and I also, I'm concerned that people truly don't understand the cost that Jesus paid on the, on the cross. It was costly church. And I'm afraid that our churches are full of people who just have this, this just kind of nursery rhyme understanding of God. And they really don't have a full grasp on it. And we end up being much like the people in Luke chapter four. All we know is Jesus is just this, this cool guy that we're supposed to appreciate. So I'm concerned, church. I'm concerned that we don't have a full understanding. So when Jesus said, it is finished, I don't think most of us really know what it was that was finished. But here's my answer to you. I, I hope that, I'm gonna ask several questions in this message and I hope that, that me asking these questions, because I'm gonna answer some of them, but I hope rather than just taking my answer, I hope that it'll stir a passion in you to go find your own answers to get in the word and look for this. But the Bible says it is finished. What is finished? Here's my answer. It's the redemptive process. It's the redeeming. It's he had finished. He had finished the process of bringing redemption. Well, you say, Jody, that sounds really good, but I don't even know what redemption is. Here's what redemption is, ready? Redemption is regaining. It's the act of regaining possession of something that had been lost through payment. In other words, a perfect example of redemption would be, you know, if you've ever, let's say you had a car that you had possession of, you had the keys and you faulted on your note and it was repossessed. And then after it was repossessed, they took your keys, they took the car, it was yours at one time, you lost possession of it. And then after that, a benefactor came along, paid it off, brought the car back to you and handed you the keys. That's redemption. Something that was, that we had possession of that was lost and then it was, it was bought back, okay? So I believe what Jesus is saying is the redemptive process is done. 
okay? So now you may say to me, okay, Jody, I, I, I know that it is the redemptive process and I know what redemption is. Then the question becomes though, what is it that was lost that needed to be regained? What was it? It's not a car. What was it? Well, here's my answer to this. To me, the answer is found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, one of my favorite passages in all the world. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for he that knew no sin, or for he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what was lost that had to be redeemed? Here's my answer, ready? may not be what you think it's going to be. Here's the answer. What was lost and had to be regained is our right standing with God. Because when God created Adam and Eve, he created us in perfect right standing with God. That's what sin lost. That's what our father Adam lost. So when Jesus is saying it is finished, you know what was finished? The ability to be in right standing with God is restored. And now... Because he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for me, right? So that I could become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, church, it's in him. The only way I will ever be righteous before God is to be hidden in the one who paid the price for me. It's in him. It's not by saying a prayer. Now, a prayer may help. But it's about putting your faith in him. And then I'm, what's restored is my right standing with God. So through the redemptive work of Jesus, you and I can be in right standing with God. And you look at me, I can tell you're just fascinated with this. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, last thing I want to say is this. That if you'll look at what, if we, I think if we truly understand the cost of the cross the payment that was made. I don't think any of us can wrap our head around how expensive it was for Jesus to buy your right standing. It was very costly. So the question then becomes, why, why is it so costly? Well, it's costly because of this. The payment, the payment has to equal the value of what was lost. And so the reason there was a high payment that had to be made for us is because there is such great value in being in right standing with God. Are y'all tracking with me? I feel like I'm getting a little deep here. Just follow me. What I'm meaning by this is, listen, there are more benefits to being in right standing with God than you and I could possibly know. There are benefits here, there are benefits now, there are benefits in heaven, there's benefits for eternity. Listen, it's benefit after benefit after benefit after benefit, it's valuable. So therefore the price that had to be paid to redeem it was a high price. Bible actually calls the exchange also ransom, that God paid a ransom for us. You know, if somebody were to kidnap your child in here today, some of you say, thank you. If somebody were to kidnap your child, when, the, when they call you to tell you what the ransom is, it's not going to be like 20 bucks. Some of you are like, nah. In fact, they might pay me 20 bucks to give them back after they've stolen them, right? 
But the ransom's not going to be like 20 bucks or like, hey, give me a month's worth of rent for ransom. No, no, no. The ransom's always high. Why is the ransom always so high? It's because the, the kidnapper knows the value that you place on your child and that you will beg, steal, or borrow whatever the amount is in order to get your child back. The ransom amount has to match the value of what's being purchased back. So the reason Jesus paid such a high price is because a human being in right standing with God that's the sweet spot. It's the most valuable thing on the planet. And so Jesus paid this high price and on the cross, right before he died, he said, it is finished. If you remember one thing here today, I want you to remember this, that every bit of your redemption was purchased on the cross. It's not halfway done. It's not almost done. It's not will be done. It is finished. Your right standing with God has been purchased. Now, what I want to do in this series is I want to help you understand what that means. I want to help you understand what that means because it means more than just a casual, he washed my sins away. Oh no, he's done much more than that. He's done much more than that. So in this series, I want to, I want to just kind of want to unpack it for you and, and show you what all's there. But I do want to say this, you know, if I were to leave you if you were to say to me, Jody, what, what do you want me to do with this message here today? Like, how do we respond to this? I, I, would, I would answer in this way. What I hope happens in this message and in this series is we get a full view and a full appreciation for what Jesus has done and that we would walk in it and live in it. Because I'm gonna make some statements to you that may shock you. I wanna say, say something, I'm gonna say it boldly to you. I just think that COVID-19 has no place in the body of Christ because by his stripes, we are healed. It's redemption. Now, I'm not throwing any judgment at you because I've had COVID too. In fact, you know, this week, uh, every week, Laurie and I, Laurie and I cook for the family and we have family night and, and the kids and the grandkids come over and... Um, and so this week, the kids were over and, and we cooked and everybody's milling around. And, and Lori, you know how, how in-tuned mothers, grandmothers are. Um, she just saw all the snotty noses in the room because the kids all had snotty noses. You know, there's some teething and there's seasonal stuff going on. And I think Jade was, Jade didn't even have a voice that night. So it was going on. And so Lori says, you know, Jody, she says, you know, before we leave tonight, I really want to pray. I want to pray for our family, pray for healing. And when she said that, I, I, the kids, I haven't asked them, but they probably even noticed it. When she said that, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit did something on the inside of me. And I got really quiet and, and she talked and uh, she was kind of leading things and I was sitting there quiet and I, I, she kept looking at me like, Jody, are you gonna engage in this? Do you not wanna pray for our family? You know. And I'm just sitting there kind of quiet and she prays, but here's what the Holy Spirit was doing in me. At that moment, I thought, you know what? I am sick of throwing out faithless prayers to a God hoping that somehow he will do something. I am fed up with this, trying to beg and plead God with God to bring healing because that is not the heart of my father. And because my healing was purchased on the cross at a very, very high price. I don't have to beg and plead with God to do something that he has already done. 
And what I, at that moment, it wasn't that I didn't want to pray for my family because I ended up praying for them. But more than the, uh, that, it said, God, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go get my nose in this book. I'm going to go get on my knees because there are things that I know you've purchased for me that I am not currently walking in. And I am sick of, sick of blessings and things that God has provided for me that I'm not experiencing because I know they're mine. I look out in the body of Christ and I say, you know what? I'm sick of Paxil being in the body of Christ. If you're on Paxil, again, no judgment. But I'm, you know, I'm sick of Christians dealing with fear and anxiety and having to be medicated because what I know is that Jesus has purchased our mental health and that he's the giver of, and the author of peace. But I don't, if I don't know him as that, I miss it. So I'm not judging you. I'm calling you saying, please, what I want you to do with this message is hopefully the Holy Spirit is using it to stir a hunger in you to say, you know what? I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss a thing. I'm tired of addiction and divorce in the church the same way it is in the world. It ought to not be because the one who has come to set the captives free has already done his work. But if I don't know him, I miss it. And now I got to go to the doctor. The psychiatrist has to help me instead of the one who created me and is redeemed to me. So in this series, we're gonna delve through all of this. I'm telling you, I wanna unpack. I wanna unpack everything that God has purchased for us. You know something else, as long as I'm ranting, this, is, this may make, make you uncomfortable, but please listen to my heart, and you know my heart in this. I'm sick of the wealth of the world being in the hands of evil men who do evil things with it. Because I believe that God has created abundance of provision in the world to put in the hands of his people who will do kingdom things with it instead of using it to build rockets and shoot themselves into space. That God wants to bless some believers who learn to believe and walk in his provision so they can use that abundance to bring forth the gospel, to touch and heal widows and orphans and feed people and bless people and minister in his name. I'm ready for a group of people to stand up and say, I will let God bless me financially because I'm going to partner with him in his kingdom and we're going to do some things. telling you, Jesus has redeemed it. Bible says that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty, you and I might be rich. You say, Jody, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. I don't care what you call it. And you know me, I'm not materialistic or we're not going into all that. Again, I don't have a helicopter that flies me from here to Edgerly every week. Right? That's right, Edgerly, that's where I live. I call it Big Woods though, because if you're from here, you know the difference between Big Woods and Edgerly. I'm sorry to my Edgerly folks. I'm just saying, I don't wanna get hung up on all that. I'm just saying that there are things that God has redeemed for us through the sacrifice and work of Jesus that we are missing. And sometimes because we miss it, we, we don't understand why we're missing it. So we change our theology to match our experience. And we build a theology that says, well, God only does it here, but he doesn't do it there. And God chooses. And, and I, I, you can show me that in experiences, but you cannot show me that in the word. You just can't. And so in this series, and we're not gonna do it all today, thank God. This is what we're gonna go through. Would you stand up with me, please?